This episode is brought to you by Birthsong Botanicals, whose Let There Be Milk herbal breastfeeding supplements help women to increase their breast milk supply. Head on over to birthsongbotanicals.com and check out Let There Be Milk. Common Sense Pregnancy customers get a special 10% discount at checkout when they use the promo code Common Sense. That's two words, lowercase. Hey everybody, this is Jeannie Faulkner and you're listening to Common Sense Pregnancy, Parenting and Politics, the podcast where we talk about all that and a whole lot more. I'm the author of two books, Common Sense Pregnancy and The Complete Illustrated Birthing Companion. I've been a registered nurse for 30 years and I worked in labor and delivery for just about 20 of those. The rest of those years, I've been writing, talking, and podcasting about pregnancy, birth, women's health, gender equality, feminism, healthcare, and politics, both here in the U.S. and around the world. I'm also the mother of a pack of kids who have all made it safely to adulthood. That's my expertise, and I'm here on the podcast to share that with you. Now, about that politics part. I'm recording this podcast right after we've received the news that the Mueller report summary says that there's no obstruction or collusion. Republicans right now are saying Trump is completely exonerated and innocent of all charges, but Democrats are saying not so fast. Mueller did not exonerate Trump. Let's see the whole report. Now, Much like people felt, you know, after the election in 2016, right now, I think a lot of people are feeling deflated. We thought the Mueller report would absolutely find evidence to kick Trump out the door, but that's not what the summary we received indicates. Now, so far, only a select few have seen the full report, and we have reason to believe there's a lot in there that the public needs to know about our president, but we may we may have a fight ahead to get that full view. We'll see. Let's see how this week plays out. Now, for some, this feels like a new low and like there's no hope now for turning our country around. I think we're going to hear a lot of cynicism and skepticism and anger over the next few days and weeks. And a lot of people are throwing their hands up and ready to say, I give up. Let the dark Lord prevail. Does anybody else feel like we're living a live action Harry Potter novel where we're all divided into houses and factions? You're either all Slytherin Ministry of Magic or all Gryffindor and Dumbledore's army. And honestly, I get it that a lot of people are just plain, you know, shut down on this. Like it just doesn't matter what we do. The bad guy's going to win. Okay. I understand that. And I'm going to give you a minute. Then I'm going to ask you to take a big breath and wash your face and stand back up, we may find out a whole lot of new information in the days and weeks going forward. And what we know now may not be the end result. Like in everything in life, right? That said, if it turns out there's nothing we can do except endure the rest of this presidency, well then, we're parents and we can endure almost anything. And while we're waiting, we use the power of the polls in the 2020 election to make the changes we absolutely must make. So, well, you know what? That's what we'll do. So be it. Now, this is 2019. 2020 is only next year. 
we're going to be having the first debate soon. And I know a lot of us are still bruised from the 2016 election, but so what, right? We're Dumbledore's army and we're still in this thing. Pick a candidate and start campaigning. Let's make sure that the person who wins the presidency in 2020 has our backs and the backs of every woman, parent, and family out there. Maybe we didn't get the answer we expected and hoped for out of Mueller because, you know, maybe we needed to create an even stronger base of constituents and motivated voters who will elect the best person to move our country forward you know, in a compassionate, safe way with an eye on the future and, you know, not on repeating the darkest parts of our country's history. So stay tuned, mamas, and stay alert. There's more to do here and we're on it, right? Right. Okay. So what else do we need to talk about this week? Well, you know what? I think we're just going to take a quick break and then we're going to come right back for this week's guest. We're back and ready to get our guest on the line. Dr. Robert Hamilton is a pediatrician who has taken care of newborns for more than 30 years. He's the creator of the Hamilton Hold and Lighthouse Missions, where he's led more than 30 medical mission teams to Africa and Central America. Let's call him up. Hi, Dr. Hamilton. It's Jeannie. How are you? Good morning, Jeannie. How are you? I'm very good. I'm good. I'm good. So you're down in where? California? Sunny California? I live in Santa Monica, California and practice pediatrics here as well. Oh my God. Land of sunshine. I live in the land of drizzle. I'm in Portland, Oregon. (laughs) I know Portland very well. Yeah. I grew up in... Go ahead. I, I have a son who went to college in Portland, Oregon. Uh, University of Oregon. He was uh, part of an ex- extension program there in Portland. And uh, we visited uh, and know the area very, very well. Oh, sweet, sweet. I grew up in Southern California in Redondo Beach. So, yeah. Know that. I know Redondo Beach very well, too. Yeah. We, we know each other's territories. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, so right before we got you on the line today, I read your bio, um, and our listeners know that you're a pediatrician and a little bit more about you, but I always like to ask the big bad question, who are you and what do you do? (laughs) Who am I? Uh, Sometimes I I ask that question to myself, but uh, in (laughs) in what I tell people, um, I am a general pediatrician. I grew up in a little town in Northern California called Eureka, California, and uh, Found my kind of tumble down the state of California, went to a college called Davis, UC Davis, Mm -hmm. uh, and then ultimately came into L.A. um, and got my medical degree at UCLA and then continued on at UCLA for my pediatric training. And, of course, when I got, you know, you have to realize, uh, and I'm sure some of your listeners will appreciate this, is that there is a, a rivalry between NorCal and SoCal. And uh, NorCal people don't like SoCal people. I'm not, you know, it's just kind of in, in our DNA, I suppose. <laughs> but, uh, and of course, we thought when we got to L.A. with the freeways and all the chaos down here that we only wanted to run back home. Uh, my wife and I, I was married at that point, uh, also a, uh, a Northern California girl. 
anyway, but what happened is L.A. kind of overwhelmed us. And here we are, you know, 20, I don't, actually 30 years, 30, 35 years later, uh, living in, in Santa Monica, California. And I'll tell you what, uh, for everyone out there, I've come, I've, I'm at peace. I've yeah. come to peace with L.A. Yeah, well, that's a really, really nice part of L.A. Yeah. So you moved into L.A. like in the 80s? Yeah. I did. Yes, yeah. That's exactly right. Yeah. I lived in Hollywood, California during the 80s. Yeah. We lived at That's the our neck of the woods until we moved to Portland in the 90s. It was a fun town, I tell you. Yeah. 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 That's, that's a very, uh, that's a big move. Yeah. And so in the 80s, you were working over at UCLA <clears throat> and I was in nursing was. school over at um, L.A. County. Cross town. Oh wow! So talk about wow. rivals, East Side West Side, dude. <laughs> yeah, you got that. And uh, actually, I I did a lot of. It turns out that I will tell you, we we may our paths may have crossed, Jeannie, because I was over. I did a lot of work at the what they called the the pediatric pavilion. Oh yeah, uh, over yeah. there. Yeah. And I would come over there and do uh, do work on weekends, moonlighting in the emergency room, and. Uh, I learned a lot from counties, a lot of things going on at UC, uh, uh, L.A. County that we never saw over at UCLA. So oh, that was an interesting place. That's where I learned everything. I learned everything there. <clears throat> it was an excellent place to go to nursing school. And, yeah, you know, no, learn, I, I can't learn, agree more. I got my labor and delivery roots there. And, yeah, that was a great education. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So when you're not being a pediatrician, what else are you doing? Well, when I when I have, uh, I turn out my wife and I have a big family. We what, have, what do you uh, call six, big? Six. Well, uh, I don't know. I'll, I'll I'll tell you. We have six kids. <laughs> Is that big? Yeah, it's pretty big. You're bigger than mine. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's big. It's big for me. Okay. It's pretty big. Six and, is uh, a lot. <laughs> it turns out that uh, five of our six are now grown and married, and we have eight grandchildren um which is a delight and we have number nine on the way and um so between my children and my grandchildren by the way they all all of my children live in la they all live in the area oh, you um, lucky man. for one i have one um the, the the last of the litter is living in manhattan new york and uh doing the new york thing and so uh, she's not married yet. Uh, but anyway, so the other ones are all here. So we're very much involved in their lives. And so I am a grandparent and I uh, happily so. Um, actually, today is my day that I go over and pick up my grandchildren from their elementary school and I, you know, take them out and wrestle with them. And, you know, we have a wonderful, wonderful relationship with our, with our children and grandchildren, actually. So that, that takes a, a fairly good chunk of my life. And then in addition to this, I, um, I actually run a, an organization called Lighthouse Medical Mission, which is a volunteer uh, organization. And we, and we travel the world. We do medical mission trips. Um, I was, a month ago, uh, we were in a country called the Gambia, mm-hmm. which is on the western coast of Africa. And it turns out I've been to Africa now 26 times. Um, and uh, also, we, we do medical teams to Guatemala, <clears throat> uh, Central America. I've been to uh, Central. I've been in Nicaragua, for example, fifteen times, and, and multiple, you know, multiple medical missions. Uh, so, I I'm busy. 
Yeah, you and I have a lot in common. We, our paths cross a lot. Not just the fact that we were both in L.A. at the same time, but I have a daughter who's doing the New York thing. She's been there for five years now, and it's turned out to be just a great, great thing. But also, I uh, work with uh, Care International and Promu Hair in the same countries that you're working in as a writer same country. and podcaster. Really? Yeah. Oh. yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, okay. I know. There we have we a lot in common. Yeah. Well, let's talk some more about, um, I want to, you've kind of had a good long haul on this career path and I'd, I'd like you to tell me a little bit more about it, especially in LA. Well, That's an interesting place to be a pediatrician. You know, it really is. And I, I will tell you that, you know, be, because I'm, I'm not a, I wasn't, I was not born and raised in LA. I, I do feel, even though I've been here for many years now, I feel like I'm a little bit of an observer of this culture and this community. Um, listen, I, I fell into the pediatric world kind of by, um, by a fluke, really. I, I didn't really have any, when I began medical school, it wasn't, wasn't like I had this desire to become a pediatrician. I, I don't think I even really understood the, what pediatricians really did. I, I never went to a pediatrician. I went to a, a family practice, general practitioner in my hometown. So pediatricians were, uh, rare back back home so i didn't did not have um i apologize for the for the, the siren going by me oh, there we okay. go but anyway um the you know this is something that kind of came to me and partly it was really due to the fact that we had children young my wife and i were young uh we had our first son we were 22 um not sure i recommend people having kids at 22 but we did and so well, I especially while well, you I must have been of, in med school I was actually undergraduate at that point. So uh, my son, Josh, uh, went to medical school with me. And, uh, you know, he, he was a young kid. And I would, I would take him to the medical school. Now, the funny thing, this is kind of like a little Hamilton lore here. My son's wife uh, ultimately uh, got into UCLA Medical School as well. And she got in. Uh, and they, and literally my, my poor son, Josh, he had, after he got married, literally about a week, a month later, she began medical school at UCLA as well. So we joked that Josh went to medical school with his father and with his wife for a total of eight years. <laughs> um, you know, there's a crown in heaven for this kid, but anyway, um, that I, here I am in LA and, and so the, you know, doing, uh, I, I was drawn to pediatrics because I felt comfortable with children. I, I felt like I knew children. And when the time came for me to make a decision, what, what career path do you want to do? Um, pediatrics was really a natural kind of choice for me. And I've never looked back. I've never turned around and said, why didn't I become a, you know, neurosurgeon uh, or an ophthalmologist or a radiologist. I've always been very content and very happy being a pediatrician. Now, that being said, being a pediatrician in L.A., L.A. is a very intense area. There's a, there's a, I work in and uh, practice in an area which is relatively affluent. The people here are educated. They, they're self-educated. Many of them are doctors, doctors in health. And so to practice in this community um, is, is a challenge, I have to be honest with you, because the people that you're dealing with are, are people who demand a lot of, of me and everybody who is in practice here. 
So it has been an interesting uh, journey uh, for sure. So over these, so you've been practicing for 30 years or so. Yes. Yeah. There, I, I, uh, I had my first two children in Los Angeles and uh, went to a couple of pediatricians down there, one of whom was Paul Fleiss. I only went to him for a couple, <laughs> a couple of appointments, and then uh, that was sure. a match. But it was an interesting time to be in L.A. What, what's kind of the weirdest trend you've seen? The weirdest yeah. trend? Yeah. What's the weirdest trend you've seen? Well, I think that you know there there is a there is a trend and, and to a degree we're a little bit of at the epicenter of this this whole thing about you know vaccinations. Yeah. Um, this is a a real thing and your your listeners will appreciate this. But there you know I think listen I love technology I, I love truth okay I love mm-hmm. truth and so one of the things I, I love for example and I'm, I'm talking on one right now I love my cell phone okay mm-hmm. I look at my cell phone a lot. Mm-hmm. And the reality is that this is a major difference from what I knew as a kid. When we had a, we had one telephone in our home when I was a child. It was a rotary phone. It was on the wall in the kitchen. Okay, mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. if you wanted to talk to your friends, first of all, you had to wait for your older sister to get off the telephone. Number one, and then if, if then you had to ask your parents, "Can I make a phone call?" Because they wouldn't let me make phone calls necessarily, and. Um, we literally, that was the telephone of our home. We had one phone. And I yeah. remember when we actually got a second phone in the bedroom, that was like a big deal. Okay. <laughs> and so the, the, tech, the, the change of, you know, in communication for telephone, for example, my gosh, I can talk to the people all around the world in a heartbeat. Uh, and if you ever had a, a long distance phone call in those days when I was a young boy, that was a big deal. I'm yeah. talking about a long distance phone call from, you know, from Southern California. If anybody called you from out of my hometown, it was like, oh, there's a long distance phone call, and we would run to the phone. Right. Anyway, th- that that technology has happened in the world of medicine too. Vaccinations are part of that that technological breakthrough. And yes, we have more vaccinations than ever before, uh, but we are we really have conquered a lot of diseases. Uh, I mean, polio, of course, uh, is really history now. Smallpox is history. But there are other things we've really conquered. We've conquered chickenpox. Yeah. We really have. And when we were, when I was a child, I can tell you that everyone had chickenpox. Yep. Yep. We didn't have chickenpox anymore. So yeah. the, Did your the, kids get chickenpox? Because your kids the, are about chicken, the same age as my kids. And my kids all had to have chickenpox. They did. They yeah. had chickenpox. Yeah. yeah they did. did you round them all For up sure. together and say, let's just get this done? <laughs> let's, let's get it out of the way. Let's have a party. Yeah. They called it a chickenpox party. Yes. And, um, you know, the idea was, okay, let's, you know, your your friends and your family and your, you know, acquaintances, just like, okay, let's all do it together and we'll get it out of the way so we right. don't have to worry about it anymore. I, I tell people, that, you know, chickenpox, by the way, you, you have to, you're, you're sick for a good week, week and a half when you have chickenpox. Right. And some kids get very sick, of course. And in, uh, in your, the older you are, the sicker you get. Anyway, we're conquering chickenpox. The weirdest thing, though, Jeannie, is that we're kind of, there's people who are out there who, are, who don't appreciate the, the beauty of what we got going here. 
Yeah. And th- this whole idea of the anti-vaxxers and people who don't want to vaccinate their children, to be honest with you, that is very regressive. And it's kind of like going back to your old rotary, rotary phone and kind of going, okay, I'm not going to use the cell phone anymore. I'm going to go back to the rotary phone. You kind right. of go, well, you know what? Life is not, you can make life easier for yourself. And I believe that the, um, you know, this, this whole idea of not vaccinating their children, not children, you know, having a vaccination of children. By the way, uh, there was a young child in Oregon. Uh, you may have read about this, who ended up getting tetanus. Yeah. Did you guys yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Yeah. And the bill is astounding. And, yes. And um, that, I mean, just to let your your listeners know, that was a, a young boy uh, got uh, pricked by um, a something I, um, something in, in the farm. I think he was working in a farm or to, uh, around animals, and he ended up getting a poke. I think he got laceration. He ended up getting tetanus. He got lockjaw, basically was admitted to the hospital. It took him, I think he was there a good month. And overall, his his bill from that uh, hospital stay was like nearly a million dollars. I think it was eight hundred and eighty thousand dollars, a gigantic number. Right. And anyway, um, that is an example of a of a uh, event that could have been totally prevented had this child been vaccinated. Yeah. Anyway, that this is a weird thing, and I'm not sure how this all going to end in terms of people not wanting to get their children vaccinated, but. I can tell you that as a pediatrician and as someone who, who's traveled to the third world a fair amount, um, and I do see things in, in the in the uh, in the field, uh, things like polio. I still run into polio yeah. in Africa, yeah. and you look at the ravages of these kind of diseases, and you kind of go, "Thank God we don't have them in America." Yeah. Yeah, it's remarkable. And, you know, a couple of things that come to mind, but just incidentally, both my brother and my sister had polio in the late 1950s and six, 19, like 50, I want to say it was like 1958 at LA County Hospital. They were both admitted with that. And that was pre, pre-vaccinations. But what, you know, what a lot of people that are living in, with an anti-vaccination, um, philosophy, mentality, practice, whatever we're going to call it in that culture, we're not living in a world where, you know, people are isolated in their communities anymore. We're a global economy. We're a global, we're global communities. You know, you go to the grocery store, you're very likely to run up against somebody who comes from another country and you're going to be exposed to all kinds of things unless you're vaccinated. You're completely correct. I, I, my office looks out, and in the far distance, I can actually see airplanes landing at LAX airport. Sure. And I tell my patients, I say, look out the window, look at that airplane. I go, where's that airplane coming from? Well, it could be in LA. It could be coming from honestly anywhere in the world. Right. Uh, we have a, a huge international airport here. And the reality is those people get off that plane. They don't live on that plane. They get off the plane and they come to dinner in Santa Monica, you know? Yeah, yeah. And so you're completely correct. We live in a very international and a very fluid community. I I think about the traveling that we now take for granted. We're, you know, we're back and forth, you know, across country all the time, Mm -hmm. internationally all the time. And again, this is a major change from when, um, 
I was a, a child, uh, you know, traveling within even California was actually considered to be a big deal. Sure. Uh, but now we routinely uh, travel far, you know, in airplanes all over the world. So yeah. you're yeah. completely right. And I think that that really underlines the need to have children adequately vaccinated. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Well, you have a new book out, right? I want to talk about it. It's, I love uh, to talk about my new book. Yeah. So let's talk about book titles. You and I talked about it just a little bit before we got on the line here today. Seven Secrets of the Newborn, Secrets and Happy Surprises of the First Year. So you were mentioning that you liked the subtitle better than the, the main title, Secrets and Happy Surprises of the First well, Year. My my title is Seven Secrets of the Newborn. I, I like that title, mm-hmm. but my book is actually a little more expansive than that. It actually does cover the entire first year. Um, there are plenty of, uh, there are, there's a lot of, of this book that includes other things other than the newborn period, which, uh, which is by definition the first month. So yes, I, I like, uh, I like my title, but I also have editors back in New York who talk to me and they have their ideas and they're also publishing the book. <laughs> so we, 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 uh, we, uh Sometimes uh, we uh, submit to their ideas. But um, I wrote this book really uh, in the aftermath of an event that happened in my life about three and a half years ago. I I put out a video uh, that was entitled How to Calm a Crying Baby on YouTube. And the video kind of went insane. It it exploded. (laughs) And I've had like over 30 million people watch this video on how to calm a baby. that to me was a phenomenon. Uh, I didn't really understand this whole idea of viral videos. Uh, you think I should have, but I didn't. Uh, I thought when people had a viral, you know, something was viral that they had a cold yeah. or they had diarrhea. You okay. learned, didn't you? <laughs> I sure you did. So and it's the so Hamilton hold, th- right? That's what they, they call it. Yes, indeed. Um, so that it was my little video, and that kind of was the uh, the foundation for the uh, the book uh, publisher to call me and say, "Would you like to write a book?" And the answer was, "Yeah, I really would like to write a book." I'll t- and I'll and I'll tell you why because I I had this this idea that I want to share with people, and I think this sounds I know this sounds maybe crazy to some of your listeners, but this is not a common. This is becoming a less common thought, and that is that children are a wonderful joy. They're a blessing, and people should have children. Now, you people have heard that from their mom and dad. They go, "Okay, all right," you know, or their grandparents, or whatever. But the reality is that voice is becoming a little uh, quieter. You're not hearing that being expressed as you know directly in the culture right now and uh and certainly i'm talking about our our young people the people who are in their 20s and 30s um we're not having we're not having enough children in the culture i have to tell you that and you know if you look at population studies right now the u.s population uh the what they call the tfr which is the total fertility rate it we're at a the lowest point in 30 years uh, in fact, we are well below replacement, and um, that's an important issue uh, in terms of the future. But more on the positive, children bring they bring delight into uh, our lives. They light up every room. They bring you know. I tell people that you're gonna they, the kids make you laugh and smile every day. 
uh, certainly when they're young. Now, when they get older, when they get to be teenagers, they don't always make you laugh and smile. Not as okay? much. <laughs> <laughs> and we all know that because we were teenagers and we didn't make our parents smile every day. But the reality is that children in general are a blessing. And um, I'm trying to get that message out there to our culture. Well, you and I could have a whole separate podcast conversation about the reasons why 20s and 30s aren't having children. And I bet we both have some pretty pretty insightful things to, to say about that. But let's set what that do you, one aside. What, what do you think about why? What is the reason, Jeannie? What is your thought? Well, the short story would be that I think that it has to do with affordability and childcare options and yep. workplace policies. I, th- I think that's what it really comes down to. You know, we we live in a time where 20-somethings are, you know, facing just unreasonable debt for their educations. They're having a hard time accessing health care because nobody's hiring full-time workers anymore. And they're working two and three, you know, four part-time positions and cobbling together side hustles to make ends meet. And it's... You know, the idea of raising a child in a traditional home is really becoming a privilege for people that can afford it. And, you know, it's not like that for everybody, because as we know, 50% of the babies born in this country are, you know, unplanned pregnancies. But that I think that that has a lot to do with it. And I think that women are talking to each other in the workplace and saying, yeah, everything was great until... I had to deal with childcare and it's, yep. yeah, for, for so many of my listeners and for young women that I've worked with, you know, throughout my career, their feminism isn't activated until they're mothers and they realize, oh my God, I had no idea how hard this would be. Yeah. That's my short no, there, story, there, but we could talk about that forever and ever and no, ever. No, no, I, yeah. I can con- I concur. I mean, realize that as a pediatrician, I spend a lot of my life with young, with women, with yeah. young women who have had children. This is what I, and by the way, I, I wasn't expecting this. I have to say, I, I spend a lot of time with women. I like women. I like, you know, I happen, I'm, I'm married to one, but uh, anyway, I kind of get the picture pretty well because I hear it. Yeah. And uh, most women that I know are not, they're not terribly, desirous to necessarily leave their their child they like they love being with their children there are a lot of tears when women go back to work uh especially if they have to go back to work when the children are, are particularly young um but uh you're you're correct the the financial pressure the economic pressure definitely like for example where i live in la i mean housing is really really expensive down here yeah. and i'm talking about even renting a place yeah uh, if you buy a place, uh, then you're really uh, you're really talking about real big dollars. Right. And uh, I'm, I'm sure Portland isn't much different. Um, it isn't. But then you of... get into the child care expenses. And, yes. you know, so you're talking about unaffordable rents. You're talking about unaffordable child care. You're talking about hardly anybody has paid family leave. And, you know, even when they do, it's for people that have white collar jobs. It's not for, yeah. you know, the people that are waitresses and you know dads who are you know it's it's not for everyone it's for almost nobody it's really tough right now that is true now i would say even despite all that 
despite the challenges, despite the, the financial constraints and everything else, um, I know this sounds a little bit foolhardy, but you still want to have children. I know it. I agree and, with you 100%. And, I'll, <laughs> and, I, and I'll tell you why. And, this, and, and there's a little bit of a leap of faith in this whole thing. And there always is. I don't care how rich you are, how where you stand on the economic ladder. But when you have children, you are jumping in the water. Yeah. I don't care who you are. Yeah. You're jumping in the water. You don't know what you're going to get. You don't know if that child is going to be a special needs child or, or a genius. You don't know what you're going to get. Right. So by definition, when you're when you're having children, you're you're, you're putting your you're putting your neck on the line. Yeah. All right. But so I think that there. And, and to a degree, too, we also have to reorient our priorities. Now, some people say, I can't afford it. And the reason they say they can't afford it is because they want to go to Europe every year. Okay, sure. They want to go to every, every summer. They got to be in London okay, or Paris. Well, you know what? Sometimes when you, um, you know, when you have, when you start having children, uh, you know, you have to go to the Willamette River and camp on the, on the river. <laughs> okay, <laughs> you know, you have to you have to kind of do things differently when you have kids, yeah. and and it's okay. And I will tell you that in America and in in general, and this sounds like maybe very uh, naive, but things do kind of work out. Yeah, yeah, they tend to. Am I completely wrong, Jeannie, on that one? Um, no, I think that, you know, when you jump in the water, your kid teaches you how to swim, and most parents are willing to do. <laughs> almost anything that they have to do to be able yeah. to take care of their child. And I think that one of the things that I hear from, from women, and I know is true for myself, I hear it all the time, is that um, they're in that postpartum period and they are uh, in, you know, both sort of the remains of this deeply creative time of their life where they've created their child. And they're also yep. facing the pressure of, having to get back to work. And in this time period where families are all scrambling all over the country about how to take care of the baby, how to make a living, they come up with something that is really remarkable. They come up with a side hustle or they come up with a creative schedule or they come up with something, you know, to make yeah, it work. Co-sharing a babysitter or co-sharing, you know, some or a grandmother coming down to live with them. No, yeah, yeah. I think you have to, you do have to get creative. And listen, in our, in our fragmented world, I have a whole chapter in my book about family. And one of the things I, I tell, I mentioned, and uh, I tell people, you know, call your parents and tell them to move down with you. Tell them to move, you know, they may be living in New York, but you know, New York is bloody cold. Why don't you come out to California, <laughs> come to wherever and enjoy kid. the weather and enjoy your grandchild. And I, the reality is that you have to kind of, you have to get a little creative, by the way, which is a good thing. This is a good thing. This is not, you know, life is never, you know, we have a tendency to want to plan out everything in life. Life, you know, I look back on the things that I thought I had planned out really well. They didn't work out. Yeah. Okay? They didn't work out the way I thought they were going to work out. So it never really quite does, does it? I mean, really, not no. really at all. no. No, and when you have kids, especially if you have kids that you didn't plan on having, which I do, um, you get you get the most delightful surprises out of life. You just the things you never plan in life turn out to be the best surprises and the best growth opportunities, and seriously, the most fun. They really do. Yeah, yeah. I agree. I yeah. mean, listen. I mean, part of the the joy of life is 
is not really knowing what is going to happen in your life. I mean, people who kind of think that they got it all worked out. And, and so I, I think that the important thing is that, yes, there are challenges. Yes, there are things. But I, I do think, listen, I do recommend that people get their education out of the way if you possibly can. Um, I do recommend that people get married. I, I Sorry, that sounds like an old-fashioned idea, too. But I think that, you know, I, I was talking to a family today in my practice, a lovely, lovely woman and her husband. And uh, they have a young month-and-a-half-old child. And I, I looked at them, you know, she she commented about her husband. She said, you know, he really does help. And I go, I looked at her husband and I said, you know what? Thank you for being there. You know, thank you. And then I, I said, you're doing a good thing. And then I looked at the mother and said, you know, you're fortunate to have a husband like this. I said, there are people out there who are doing it alone. Mm-hmm. And some of your listeners are, are some of those people you're doing yeah. it alone. Yeah. And I, and I, and I said to him, I, I said, can you imagine doing it alone? And she said, I really can't, you know, and it is really a, a challenge to raise a child um, without help. Yeah. And so I do, look, I, I know this may sound a little, you know, countercultural here in our world today, but for heaven's sake, get married. You know, if, you have, if, you're, if you're making babies, uh, whoever that person you made a baby with, uh, you you probably like them a lot or you love them a lot. And it's a good time to kind of tie the knot and uh, build a life together. Yeah. Yeah. Sure is easier that way, it seems. Way. Oh, heck yeah. We can say whatever we want. It's my podcast. <laughs> well, you and I have been already talking for a while, and there's a lot more that I want to talk to you about. So I think we're going to do some rapid fire, if you can, if we can do that. Sure. Okay. Yep. Um, I don't, I'm not going to make you say what the sec seven secrets of the newborn are because we want everybody to go buy the book, but what's the down and dirty on the Hamilton hold? What is it? What, what is the, what the Hamilton hold the viral what is video? The hold? Yeah. What is it? Okay. Well, the, the Hamilton hold is a, a, a method that I developed over the many, many years I've been in practice. Basically, um, I make babies cry and when I examine them. And uh, so that's kind of what you do as a pediatrician. And those of you who have children know that when you go to the pediatrician, they all the babies cry mm-hmm. uh, after they're looked at, usually. Um, and uh, so to have a conversation, I, it would be natural. I'm a father. I'm, I, this is my world. I felt comfortable picking up the child and comforting them. Yeah. And so over the time, I, I learned that if you actually, you know, hold the two arms, the one in front of the other, hold the baby at about a 45-degree angle and, and, you know, grab the little bottom and, and gently rock them up and down, boom, they quiet down like instantaneously, usually. And um, I did that. And look, I did this all in my career uh, for years and years and years. And a couple of my patients said, you know, Dr. Bob, you should put that on YouTube. Now, I, I didn't really know what YouTube was. I mean, I kind of did, but I didn't really know how to put a video up, up, up on YouTube. I do now, okay? Uh, but that being said, I said, okay, sure, I'll do that. And I, I, you know, I procrastinated for a long time. And finally, I said, you know what? I'm going to do it. So I did it. And lo and behold, it took off in a way that I could have never imagined. And I will, I will say that makes me happy. I will tell you, I get, I get so, I get emails from all over the world, literally, yeah. of people who've seen my video kind of randomly, someone shared it or whatever, and it, it helped them. 
And I think, you know what? Yeah. I'm happy that I'm helping yeah. young families with their babies. That I know. And it's a basic skill. Joy. Yeah. But yeah. that's the beauty of the new technology right now is that a lot of people are lacking the basic information they need for, you know, how do you make the baby stop crying? Here, you do it like this. And you, you're providing a service to millions of people who go, oh, that's how you do it. Okay, and voila. Happy babies and families. It's practical. It's practical. And pr that's why it's viral. And, and I, yeah. And I, I think I think it did. I, listen, I, I'm happy. I am kind of a practical person. I, I, um, I'm surrounded by a lot of really uh, very smart people and everything. I'm kind of a small-town boy. Uh, in the big city. So I kind of tend toward practical things. Okay. So I know they do that in Oregon too. Yeah, I know they're yeah, up there yeah, in yeah. Oregon. They're yeah. practical people, right? Well, I'm practical. Oregon is, is, um, you know, the home I'm in Portland. We have Portlandia. Practicality is not our thing so much, <laughs> but I'm a California <laughs> I'm, I'm actually, girl. So. I'm actually crossing my fingers right now, Jean. I, I know Portlandia pretty well. Actually. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I've got more questions for you. So tell me sure. about lighthouse medical missions. Lighthouse Medical Missions, we're a uh, Christian-based organization. We go, we work with pastors and churches, and we, we do, we're all volunteers. We uh, open the door of a community center. We open the door of wherever building we can get into. And we essentially, we're all volunteers. We pay our own way, and we open the, their short-term medical mission teams. And I got to tell you, they're incredible. We were in Gambia. We took care of 1,200 people. Mm -hmm. um, in a community which is mainly a Muslim community. Gambia is a Muslim country, but mm -hmm. people walk in the door. And by the way, that's part of the breaking down of barriers. When when people walk into our clinic, you know, they they learn that we're okay, you know, yeah. we're, and, and they're yeah. okay. And so yeah. that's part of what we do. So it's a, it's a wonderful thing. Um, look, I've done, a, I've done, like I said, I've been to Africa 26 times. Uh, so there's something there that keeps on driving me back. You know, that's a story that really needs to be told more and more, especially right here, right now, right now, is that you are in a really unique position to be a Christian American white man providing compassionate, high quality pediatric care to compassionate, loving parents in really different cultures and everybody is good with this. These are the stories we need to be getting out there. That's an important thing. Because I think that right now things are so polarized and people are so afraid of each other. But really, you know what? Parents and children are the same all over the world. You oh, know? for sure. Yeah. For sure. There's no, nothing I, different. I see that. You know, yeah. when I, I, I listen, you know, you go over there, you're, you're, you're rendering care and, you know, you look like you're the giver. Yeah. Um, yeah, it only looks that way. The reality is that I'm kind of the getter, too. I'm getting a lot. I, I learn a lot from the people I deal with. I, I will tell you, I learn. A, I look at these young mothers, and, and some of them are 16, 17, 18 years of age. Yeah. Don't recommend having a baby when you're that age. But that, that, that is their culture, okay? Right. That is who they are. They're wonderful mothers, Jeannie. They're wonderful. They love their children. They're caring for them. They're, they're attentive. They're there. They're breastfeeding, by the way. All of them are breastfeeding. And so, you know what? You kind of stand back and kind of go, there's something, everything, there, there's some goodness here. There's yeah. a lot of goodness here. Yeah. And um, so I, let me tell you, I'm, I'm looking and watching and I'm receiving as much as I give. Yeah, yeah. 
Well, again, I want to I wanna, um, help you tell those stories down the road. You and I will have another conversation on that. We'll do it. Yeah. Love okay. To do that. Two more questions, and then we have to get off the line. I want you to fill in the blank for me on this statement. Nobody ever told me that. Nobody ever told me that. Nobody ever uh, told me that. Nobody ever told me that um, I would be <laughs> doing what I'm doing in my life uh, right now. I, nobody ever told me that, that this, this was going to be my future. I would have laughed that I had six kids and living in L.A. Nobody told me that. Yeah. With a book and a huge mission. Yeah. Nobody. Mm-hmm. I Look, I, all I wanted to do was play baseball. Okay. <laughs> I wanted to play second base. Okay. Yeah. I never had, you know, it wasn't like I had a big vision of, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get married to my little girlfriend and we're going to do this. No, no, nobody told me what, what was ahead of me. And you know what? So far, it's been a good, it's been a good, a good, good run. Oh, good. Yeah. So next, my last question okay, for next. you then is this. Where are you in the world of parenthood? Where am I in the world of parenthood? Mm-hmm. Um. What do you, can you clarify that question? Mm-mm. I keep it vague. <laughs> okay. Where yeah. am I in the world of parenthood? Yeah. Listen, I'm all about parenthood. And if, where am I in the world? I'm, I am a parent. I'm a grandparent. I am, I watch my own children parent. I, in the, in the world of parenthood, it is, I am completely on board for ki- people becoming parents. I think that one of the things that happens when you become a parent is you personally, you change, you, you yeah. personally grow, you you become a different person. You have no, you cannot be the same person when you become a parent. So where am I about in, in regard to parenthood? I am an advocate. Uh, I am a, uh, a cheerleader in, a, in the biggest way without being trying to be obnoxious. Okay. <laughs> everybody is, everybody is not me and everybody doesn't fit the paradigm that I kind of think they should fit. But that's, but within the context of being, uh, recommending this. I'm a recommender of parenthood. <laughs> Me too. I think it's fun. Yeah. Yep. Well, this has been a really fun conversation. And before I let you off the line, um, let's mention the title of the book again and where people can buy it. And then where can people find out more information about you? Um, okay. The book is called Seven Secrets of the Newborn. You can buy it on Amazon. You can get it. Barnes & Noble actually has it. Uh, as well, and um, happy to let you know about that. I'm a, by the way, I'm a big fan of old-fashioned bookstores. Yeah. What I like if you if you have a Barnes and Noble nearby, go and you know patronize Barnes and Noble. Um, then, uh, so that's where you can get it, and uh, hopefully it'll help people. I mean, the whole message, the whole reason why you write a book is because you want to get your message out and want people to benefit from it. So, in right, right. in same idea with my my little hold, I'm happy that it's benefited people. I'm hoping my book will do the same thing. In and terms of getting to know about, I do have a website. I is uh, I don't know what the name of my. I'm sorry, I can't. I'm, oh, that's I'm okay. sorry, listeners. I can't tell you the name <laughs> of my. You know, Google go, me. Okay, go go look up Dr. <laughs> Robert Hamilton and his book Seven <laughs> Secrets of the Newborn, and you're going to find him there. You'll yeah. find me. You'll, you'll find, find me out there in the cyber world. I'm sure somewhere. All right. <laughs> You're not hard I, to I think find. I, I think it's Robert T. Hamilton, MD, uh, 
at Gmail. I mean, that's my, sorry, that, that was actually different. Anyway, you'll find me. All <laughs> okay, right. Sounds good. Well, it's you been really. You should have told me that question, Jeannie. I didn't expect that question. Oh, sorry about that. <laughs> well, it's been really fun talking to you. And I can tell Thank that you, you and I can have plenty of conversations down the line. We could. Yeah. Okay. You're very kind. Uh, you're, and you're easy to talk to. I appreciate that. All right. We'll talk again. Okay. Bye-bye now. Mama said there'll be days like this. There'll be days like this. Mama said. Mama said. Dr. Robert Hamilton's book is called The Seven Secrets of the Newborn, and you can find it wherever you buy your books. We want to say thanks to our sponsor, Birthsong Botanicals, for helping us keep the lights on here at Common Sense Pregnancy, Parenting, and Politics. Check out Let There Be Milk Tincture and Supplements over at birthsongbotanicals.com. And don't forget to use the promo code COMMONSENSE at checkout for your 10% discount. That's it for this week, everybody. You can find me over at jeanfaulkner.com. Tweet me at jeanfaulkner. Facebook me, Instagram me. You know, go find me. Send me your letters and questions. And please, oh, please go buy the book, will ya? Common Sense Pregnancy is all over the place. Common Sense Pregnancy, Parenting, and Politics is produced by Alex Ward at Sounds Like Pictures. Uh, Thanks for listening. We'll talk again next week. Bye-bye. If you're looking for easy ways to feed your family, I've got you covered. Hi, this is Liz Weiss, dietitian, mom, cookbook author, and host of the Liz's Healthy Table podcast. Tune in for healthy recipes, expert advice, and a big helping of fun. Come find me on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, the Parents on Demand Network, or over at my website, Liz's Healthy Table.com. <laughs>